Welcome to season two of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's still irreverent. It's still weird. It's still the show that you love to tolerate. Thanks for listening. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 37 of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. Kyle here, your host, for another week of podcast excellence. Guys, what is going on? What's happening? How's your life? How's your wife? You know, it's getting more and more difficult, I feel like, every single week to uh, do a reasonable, nice intro that isn't just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Literally every time I do one, I just listen to myself, you know, monitoring as I talk, and I just sound like a goddamn idiot. So, you know, maybe that's the theme now. Sound like an idiot for two minutes before the podcast actually starts to talk about the important stuff, and maybe it's charming to one or two people here and there. Anyhow, you guys... This week, we continue our series on some less-than-ethical human experimentation while we talk about the Tuskegee experiment, more uh, more commonly known as the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Yep, we're going to talk about a sexually transmitted disease, and we're going to talk about how the United States Public Health Service, by all accounts a fantastic organization in the modern day, was really a not a fantastic organization when they pulled this experiment off, and they pulled it off for a long, long time. Guys, it's not a fun story. You might be mad at the government after you hear this one, but without further ado, guys, let's talk about the Tuskegee Syphilis Experiment. Guys, episode 37 Knowledge from the Couch podcast. Stick with me. guys let's dive a little deeper into human nonsense and experimentation as we build upon what we talked about last week uh with the stanford prison experiment you can probably surmise that basically not until you know pretty much the 1970s forward have we as human beings really sort of try to set out our own rules and goals helping us define what is ethical and what is unethical when it comes to studying people. Now, obviously, there are there have been uh, efforts made to do this uh, uh, for the part of, you know, animal studies among other things. But there's always that little thing, like when you put human beings as something that you're studying. That's when things get a little bit tricky. Uh, I I feel like I reference it every single week, but. It's always a good sort of, of, of way to think about it, and uh, the, the, the fun coincidence is that you are thinking about it. Humans have, as I've stated many times, we've evolved this big old brain of ours, and this big old brain of ours is really good at self-awareness, 
and and being you know in that mode where you have gained the intelligence of 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 known mortality and you understand you know empathy you know right wrong and the other thing at least hopefully you do or at the very least have the capacity to do so so when it comes to doing things to other human beings when you are one as well people tend to take a step back and think about it for a second because there are there are definite issues when it comes to to treating people now I myself am a, am a registered nurse, so a lot of my working career has to do uh, with directly taking care of other human beings. As a human being myself, there are always things that you have to understand about treating people, and that comes from codes of, of moral and codes of ethics, you know, where you try your best to do no harm. You know, sometimes harm comes to people, but it should hopefully never be intentional harm. Intentional harm is criminal. Intentional harm is unethical and bad. But for some reason, uh, throughout most of human history up to this point, Human to human studies, while being a little bit, you know, thought about more often than thought about when, say, you know, some asshole will just grab a bunch of cats and do stupid shit to them. While human experiments were typically never thought or thought of in those exact terms, very few of these physicians that were doing what they were doing really ever thought of their subjects as, you know, less than, you know, they never really thought of their subjects as animals. Uh, they always thought of them as human beings. Despite all this, we still kind of just said, eh, whatever. Let's just do what we want to do with our experiment. Who gives a shit? You know, there's no rules. There's no uh, board we have to bring this in front of. Let's just do our experiment. I got an idea. I've got something I really want to study. Let's just study it. Who cares? I got I got an experiment ready to go. Let's do it. And this is kind of what drives a lot of these stories that we're telling this month on the podcast is that human drive to understand and to, you know, think about these sort of things, but yet kind of missing the point when it comes to uh, ethical reasoning. And actually, this study that we're about to discuss for the next uh, few minutes here is one of the big reasons why ethics in experimentation, especially with human beings, is such a huge deal. So for a little background, this experiment took place over a great deal of time, and it was a baby of the U.S. Public Health Service. Today, the U.S. Public Health Service basically deals with, um, you know, public health, public health being the health uh, in general of the people of the United States. And typically, public health has more to do with, um, you know, vaccines and and the, the general welfare and health of, of those in the community in general, not so much the acute health of somebody who's sick in the hospital, but just the general well-being of the populace. And also, these days, treating those who are, are less than fortunate, less than able to get treatment like the Indian Health Service as part of the U.S. Public Health Services uh, branch and, and, and going to rural areas and other areas that are typically uh, and populations that are typically underserved, that is uh, within the, the sphere of influence of the U.S. Public Health Service these days. Uh, was the case then as well, but the U.S. Public Health Service at this point was kind of like, all right, we got this study we want to do and we need to see, you know, kind of how this disease affects people that it is afflicting. That disease, obviously, as I said at the top of the show, is syphilis. So the venereal disease section of the U.S. Public Health Service formed a study group 
1932 at their national headquarters. Um, their goal was to follow untreated syphilis in a group of black men. This is why it's also terrible, because not only is it something that is an unethical experiment to begin with, but it was also a very vulnerable and less than knowledgeable population that they were targeting, which makes it even worse when you think about it. But basically, they wanted to follow untreated syphilis in a group of black men for six to nine months and then follow up with a treatment phase to kind of see, hey, how does syphilis go when you don't treat it for six to nine months, see how it goes, and then follow it up with you know treatment at the time. They're still trying to understand at this point what the best way to treat syphilis is, at least at the beginning of the experiment. You know, and the way they sort of justified uh, the way they were going about their experimentation at first and literally through the entirety of the of the the very long lasting longer than six to nine months study was that you know these are very poor people um they basically worked in conjunction with tuskegee university which is a historically black college in alabama um they basically initially enrolled 622 impoverished african-american sharecroppers in particular from macon county in alabama of, and they're all men, all guys. Of those men, 431 of them had previously contracted syphilis before the whole study started, and 169 didn't have the disease. And basically they were told, hey, we, they, this is what they were told. They weren't told that they were studying syphilis. They didn't tell any of the, the, the research subjects, I guess you could call them, even though they're people like you and me. They didn't tell any of them that what they were doing was treating syphilis. They were a little bit more uh, under and, 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 and vague and said, we're treating, quote unquote, bad blood in all of you guys. And bad blood was a, a sort of a, a colloquial, colloquialism uh, in the area that meant a lot of different things to these people. Syphilis was part of that bad blood Thing, but it also meant, you know, just being tired, uh, anemia, you know, all of those kind of different things were, you know, just that under that big umbrella of bad blood. So these guys that they threw into the study had no idea what they were actually getting into. And what they did was basically say, hey, guys, we are going to we're, we're going to be taking blood from you guys. We're going to do these treatments. We just want to see, like, what we can find out about this bad blood. So what we'll do for you is we will basically give you uh, free medical exams. So, hey, most of these super poor sharecroppers didn't really have access to uh, public health or health of, in, in any way. So they're like, hey, we'll give you guys free exams. Boom, we got that done. We'll give you guys um, free meals just for coming by and participating in the study. And this maybe should have been a red flag, but we'll also give you free burial insurance for participating in the study of course all the men were not told anything other than hey we're just seeing how this is going we're just going to do this and if we find something in you we'll do whatever treatment is going to be uh, indicated they didn't tell them that actually they never really meant to treat them and this is actually going to be sort of a long-term study of what would happen when you didn't treat somebody knowingly with an illness which is probably the biggest ethical uh, biggest ethical flag thrown up right now. The fact that at this point they knew, they being the people doing the experiment, knew that these men all had syphilis 
and they had it and they had different methods of treatment and they withheld all those methods of treatment, basically just saying, hey, here's your disease. You have it. Let's just put you in a cage, so to speak, and see what happens to you. See what syphilis does to you uh, without actual treatment. We'll just kind of see how that goes. At first, it truly was meant to be a very short study where they would use a couple of the things that were used at that point to uh, treat syphilis, see how effective they were. But the reason they chose these poor black sharecroppers in Alabama was because these people didn't really have anything to lose or gain by any of this, and they were very easy targets. That's one of the, another, you know, unethical thing is that you chose a bunch of people who were less educated than the people doing the study and were basically had the wool pulled over their eyes and they knew that nobody really would care, especially in the 1930s, about, you know, black people, especially in the South. So they picked this specific group of people to do this experiment on to see, hey, you know, whatever happens, nobody's really going to care about these people. So we're just going to do whatever the hell we want to do. And we'll be nice, nice in quotes. Uh, you can't see you can't see me because this is an audio medium, but I'm doing air quotes in the air right now. We're being nice uh, to these people by giving them free medical care, meals, and burial insurance um, as you know payment, so to speak, for being part of our bad blood research study. So the genesis of the study, before they even started pulling this whole thing off, was in 1928. Uh, a few years earlier, there was a Norwegian study that had reported on the pathologic manifestations of untreated syphilis. They just wanted to see, at that point, how untreated syphilis affected all these uh, all these hundreds of, of white males, in, in this case, in, in Norway. Um, it was a retrospective study, meant they, meaning they actually kind of basically looked at all the endings of the story, so to speak, and then put them all together and said, okay, this is you know how we piece together the story, this is how it works. The U.S. Public Health Service is then like, okay, we're going to do a prospective study, meaning we're going to come up with the terms before we even start doing it, unlike the Norwegians that did it afterwards, and we're going to see how this entire thing goes. They started jumping through the ethical hula hoops uh, immediately at the beginning of the study, saying, quote, that as long as they didn't harm their subjects, they weren't doing anything wrong. The researchers involved in the Tuskegee experiment, they reasoned then that they were not harming them because these people, they said, were already unlikely to get treatment for their syphilis, which may or may not be the case, and further education would not diminish their inherent sex drive. So basically they said, hey, these guys are poor, they don't have access to anything, you know, we are like, we're just going to come in and even though we do have access to all this stuff, we could just like give them treatment. You know, just like reasonable people would do. We're just going to do a study instead, and we're not really doing bad. It's it's almost like a kind of a Star Trek, you know, uh, prime directive sort of thing. It's like, well, we can't interfere in what they would already be doing, but doesn't hurt to go down and do a little experiment, do a little study to see how this whole thing goes without uh, uh, putting our putting our, our hands in that cookie jar too much. We'll just we'll just sit back here and we'll we'll give them some free food. We'll give them some free medical exams, which is basically complete bullshit because we just listen to their heart and stuff and like draw blood and and then hey, uh, when you inevitably die and we know you're gonna die of syphilis at some point down the line, here's your burial insurance so your family doesn't have to go through all that nonsense. Hey, cool. 
at the beginning of the study, most major medical textbooks had recommended that all syphilis be treated. <laughs> so they already were were being told, hey, uh, somebody's got syphilis, you should definitely treat the syphilis. Everybody knows it's a bad deal. One of the worst venereal diseases or sexually transmitted diseases or infections that does exist in humankind. The only ones being really pretty much worse would be like HIV, which didn't uh, really appear in humans till a little bit later on. Um, but typically syphilis is worse than things like chlamydia and gonorrhea just because of what it can do to the brain of the human being when it sits long enough, which you're going to find out that happened a lot in this experimentation. So at the time when the experiment started in 1932, the treatment for syphilis was arsenic therapy because, of course, hey, looks like you got syphilis. How about some arsenic? That'll kill it off and, and, you know, well, killing everything else off as well. Another thing they used was called the 606 formula, which was a very sort of early scientific treatment um, against the, the the type of bacteria that would cause syphilis. It actually was also one of the first drugs used as chemotherapy. But at the time, these were not terribly, terribly effective against syphilis. Obviously, they were treatment, and they did work sometimes. They had some you know, effability to 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 work you know correctly when it comes to getting rid of this disease, but when it came down to it, it just it, it wasn't that great. The researchers reasoned that when they were going to do this experiment, that the knowledge gained would benefit humankind, because of course that's the excuse you always do, and even if that's true, they went about it in the worst way possible. However, afterward, obviously, when we get to the end of the of the story here, it was determined that they did, in fact, harm their subjects because they withheld appropriate, appropriate treatment of these men during the entire time that this, the, the, the study was, was going on. They, they never, ever gave them the correct treatment at all. They just wanted to see what would happen if we didn't treat syphilis in these black men. The curiosity for this study also involved the fact that there was still a misunderstanding when it came to how diseases affect people of different races. Um, they believed that syphilis affected, you know, white people and black people and, and, and Latin people and Asian people differently. And they felt like for the black people in the study that their cardiovascular system was going to be more affected by the syphilis than the central nervous system, you know, for whatever reason. Um, they started the study. They did those initial treatments. They also used mercurial ointments, mercurial mean mercury, because that's super toxic too, and bismuth all as ways to sort of treat syphilis. None of these ways really worked with the shit. They were at best mildly effective and super toxic, but this was the way they started doing the entire study. Um, as the study went along, the medical ethics basically completely and utterly continued to take a shit and go away completely. Um, the Public Health Service would ask the uh, Tuskegee Institute physicians, a bunch of black physicians, to participate in the study by offering funds, employment, and interns to encourage their ongoing participation. They wanted them to be a part of the uh, the, the group study. Um, one of the nurses employed in the study, a, a nurse by the name of Eunice Rivers, a black nurse from Macon County, she was actually basically told, hey, you need to basically go out there and become friends with all these guys, and you need to like mislead them as best you can, and we're going to help you by sending all these flyers and stuff out. Um, because 
part of the treatment that they did at the time, or at least the way that they collected the samples that they needed, were things like spinal taps, which is not a fun thing to go through, um, much less fun than getting your blood drawn in the uh, the normal manner. Uh, the doctors would, would also send patients uh, misleading letters, uh, like one titled, quote-unquote, last chance for special free treatment, saying, hey, it's your last chance, the free treatment, come on in, guys, you, you got to come in and, and continue doing this. Um, the study also later on required all participants to undergo an autopsy after they died, because of course they did. Um, in order to receive those funeral benefits. They just wanted to see what would happen if this dude with syphilis lives out his life with the disease, what happens to him, um, how it happens, you know, throughout the the course of the disease taking hold, you know, how does his, how do, how do his labs change, how does, has everything change, and then when he dies, we're going to look at the body and see what happened. One of the most unfortunate things that happened with the Tuskegee experiment was the discovery of penicillin. Penicillin is basically a mold that was accidentally discovered, or I should say accidentally discovered uh, the best mechanism of action by a man named Alexander Fleming. Alexander Fleming is a Scottish scientist, and he... Uh, during the, the, the late 20s into the early 30s, basically helped discover how penicillin uh, affected bacteria because it would basically grow in his Petri dishes that also contained um, Staph aureus, Staphylococci type of, of bacteria, and that this mold would basically stop them from forming you know, all around the area. They, they would inhibit this bacterial growth. And he said, oh, Oh boy, this uh, this penicillin is like really taking it to this bacteria. What is this? And then over time, goes. Oh yeah, if we just uh, if we just isolate the penicillin mold and we can we can we can use it to treat any sort of bacterial disease because this that for some reason this mold just attacks and destroys bacteria. And it was this huge discovery. I mean, it is literally one of the biggest medical discoveries in um in modern medicine was the discovery of antibiotics basically like before you would do treatment you would really only treat the symptoms and maybe some of the real superficial stuff in a disease now we figured out oh shit we can like put this in people and we can just kill off bacteria completely and we can just like heal people basically cure people of the stuff that is affecting them terribly so Alexander Fleming discovers penicillin. It's this worldwide phenomenon. But guess, guess who didn't get to know about penicillin? If you guessed the the uh, the people taking part in the Tuskegee experiment, mainly the people of Macon, Georgia, the black uh, un uninformed consent people, you would be one hundred percent correct. They were never ever told that penicillin could treat what they had. In fact, penicillin by 1947 became the de facto treatment for syphilis, yet none of these men ever from the start to the finish of this study ever received penicillin, not a single one of them. So not only were they basically withholding at the beginning of the study any sort of treatment for these men um, beyond the six to nine month port, but they also withheld the penicillin treatment, which became the treatment of choice for this uh, this disease, and was extremely effective at treating the disease. They never 
ever even knew that it existed, and it was you know withheld completely and utterly unethically by those in charge of the experiment. In fact, everyone loved penicillin so much that the U.S. government sponsored several public health programs to form quote-unquote rapid treatment centers to help eradicate the disease because that's what you do. Once you figure out how to isolate and kill a disease off, you round it up, quarantine it, and fucking destroy it. That's how we basically helped get rid of polio and smallpox. Although, hey, anti-vaxxers, this is to you. When you don't get vaccinated against that stuff, like it can return. It is very difficult, but it can return. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Basically, when you find out what works against a disease, you attack it, you kill it, you eradicate it. When those campaigns for those rapid treatment centers came to Macon County, the study researchers, the people from the public health service, actively prevented their patients from knowing about and participating in any of those things. So they literally did their best to withhold any sort of treatment for these guys. During World War II, 250 of the subject men actually had registered for the draft. These men uh, basically, of course, when they were going through their physicals, were diagnosed with having syphilis because they had it and it wasn't being treated. At And, and they, were, they, were, they were diagnosed as having syphilis and they were ordered to obtain treatment for syphilis before they could be taken you know, into the armed services through the draft. The public health service researchers attempted to prevent these men from getting treatment, which would deprive them of chances for a cure. Literally, these guys want to go serve their country in World War II in the draft, and the public health service of the country they're trying to serve doesn't do a goddamn thing about them and actively actually stops them from being treated. It's, it's a goddamn travesty is what it is. They, a PHS, a public health service representative, was actually quoted at the time saying, quote, so far, we are keeping the known positive patients from getting treatment. Literally from the horse's mouth, they were told, hey, we are not treating any of these people. Now, you might be wondering, huh, this study was only gonna supposed to be going on for six to nine months, and we were going to see how the entire thing went. Um, but it, it sounds like you started in 1932, Kyle, and then you started talking about penicillin being the standard therapy for syphilis in 1947. That seems like quite a long time, 15 years if my math is correct. Did this study really go on for that long? Ah, interestingly enough, it didn't just go along for that long. It went on way, way, way longer than that. This study went from 1932 until 1972, a, a, a study that was only supposed to be six to nine months long lasted 40 years, 40 years in this clandestine nature where they were basically trying to figure out what syphilis would do with these people. But come on. I mean, you could be a total unethical piece of garbage and still got the results you needed within a couple of years here and there. But then you kept it going for 40 straight years never giving any of these people the treatment that they needed. All you did was give them free bogus medical care. You gave them free food, and then you gave them burial insurance, which, by the way, you had to you know, let your loved one be autopsied after they basically suffered terribly and died of this horrible disease before you could even cash in on that particular benefit that they were giving them. It's pretty, pretty, pretty terrible. Eventually... 
the study did end because of uh, uh, some some whistleblowing activity by a man named Peter Buxton, who was a, a public health service venereal disease investigator. Uh, finally, in the in in 1972, on July 25th, he went to the press. And the story first broke in the uh, the Washington Star, and then later on became front page news uh, in the New York Times. The day after that, uh, Senator Ted Kennedy from Massachusetts called in some congressional hearings, at which um, Peter Buxton, the whistleblower, uh, and other officials testified. And as a result of the public outcry, which of course there was, <laughs> I mean, 40 straight years of this crap and nobody bats an eye. And it's because it was basically very well covered up. There were there were inklings here and there of what was going on. And some people even knew enough about it to write letters to the public health service telling them, hey, this is really unethical. This is really terrible what you're doing. And they would usually say, cool, and then tear up the memo and throw it away. There were, because of these hearings, a committee and advisory panels formed to actually review the study. The panel looked at the study for the uh, the amount of time that it took place, and although they did find that the men agreed to certain terms of the experiment, obviously, um, they did not have the proper uh, information on the study's actual purpose, and because of it, it was medically unjustified, and they finally ordered its uh, its termination. Uh, they did a class action lawsuit later on, which was filed by the NAACP on behalf of the study participants and all of their descendants, in which the U.S. government paid $10 million in 1972 bucks, which is $49.6 million uh, of today bucks, and agreed to provide actual free medical treatment and care to surviving participants, of course, they didn't all survive, and surviving family members that may have been infected by the study. Overall, by the end of the study in 1972, only 74 of the test subjects were still alive. Only 74. Of the original 399 men that took place in this study, 28 died of syphilis, 100 were dead of related complications, 40 of their wives had been infected, and 19 of their children were born with congenital syphilis. It's pretty terrible that not only did you not treat the men who had this terrible disease but you let them give it to their to their loved ones without any of their knowledge and then some of their children the most innocent of all were born with it and had no actual you know choice in the matter obviously because of this this is the big thing that happens because of the Tuskegee experiment. If you are any person who has ever been involved in usually master's or doctorate work that has to actually do something that involves research or making a research project, whether it be a quantitative or qualitative type of study, you have to submit your proposal these days in front of a, of a review board. And not only do you have to put it in front of a review board, you have to be a reasonable and nice person and make sure that everyone that uh, that takes, you know, part in your study is going to be, you know, informed on uh, whatever it is that you're doing, which is called informed consent. A very typical thing these days that you don't even think about, that you take for, for granted utterly and completely, 
was something that wasn't really a thing back then, and most people kind of felt like it was okay just to do something to a bunch of people and not tell them anything about it or be intentionally misleading about the purpose of the study. Nowadays, you have to come up with uh, very well-formed, specific uh, uh, experimental groups. You take all that work that you do to an institutional review board or an IRB, which is going to be the people who say, hey, this is a good experiment, or hey, this is a dumb stupid experiment like come back with something better or just go away and then once you find participants in the study you have to give them informed uh consent and they will basically choose to say hey even after all the things you told me about what could may or will happen to me i will still uh, participate or i'm not going to participate because holy shit i don't want to take place in this if you would have given a lot of these men the informed consent in 1932 about what they were doing I would wager there would be a great deal less of them that may have participated in this study. And not only does this go into the realm of informed consent and and proper human experimentation, and I hate saying human experimentation, it sounds so like mad scientist and evil, but any sort of research subject or research matter that involves humans uh, as the subjects of the research, um, beyond all of that stuff, the probably the very worst part beyond the 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 tragedy of the actual people in the study was that now you basically showed your your terrible hand as as the government you shown that you had no problem taking advantage of a very vulnerable group of people and not only that you basically showed again that there was implicit you know, institutionalized racism where it's like we could do it. We could do this study on a bunch of white people somewhere, but let's not do that. Let's definitely take advantage of these poor black sharecroppers in the South, people who are already dealing with the nonsense of Jim Crow at this point in time in history. Let's just take advantage of them by promising them that, hey, maybe your lot in life has now changed. Look at this. We have this study going on and we're going to help you guys out. We're going to give you free medical care and free food. And we are going to treat what's wrong with you. Isn't that great, you guys? Isn't that great? When then in in reality, it, it is not that at all. And basically, when it comes down to it, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment may have actually significantly damaged the trust of the black community overall toward public health efforts in the United States. People like the sharecroppers who needed help the most were basically shown that help wasn't going to come. And other people who then observed that this is what happened when you were in that sort of situation were like, oh, shit, like, even though I need the help, I can't go and get it or I'm not I'm not going to go get it because I don't trust somebody to to not take advantage of me because I just don't know everything about everything. And instead of take the chance of becoming another version of this, I'm just not going to go to the doctor at all, which may have then, you know, led to the reluctance of many poor black people to actually seek routine preventative care, which along the lines uh, in a medical sense is going to lead to bigger chronic and terrible acute problems uh, down the line. In 1999, a survey showed that 80% of African-American men believed the men in the Tuskegee syphilis experiment had been injected with syphilis. Even if that wasn't the case, that's what they believed. That's where the, the, the court of public opinion pushed so far just because of this sort of thing. 
A 2016 paper later on published by the National Bureau of Economic Research found that the historical disclosure of the Tuskegee experiment, meaning that we now know about it, is correlated with increases in medical mistrust and mortality and decreases in both outpatient and inpatient physician interactions in older black men. Our estimates imply life expectancy at age 45 for black men fell by up to 1.4 years in response to that disclosure, accounting for approximately 35% of the 1980 life expectancy gap between black men and white men. So there's multiple studies now that say, hey, it's not only was this a bad thing to happen, it, it, it rippled like a, a stone thrown in the pond. Uh, and we continue to see those ripples these days in, in, in the mistrust between the, the figures in power and authority and the figures who are taken advantage of. Just like we talked about in the Stanford Prison Experiment last week, we now talk about it this week with the Tuskegee Syphilis Experiment where – not only are you taking advantage of someone, you're you're not disclosing what's going on with those people, and when it is revealed how terrible you really were, it 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 ripples beyond everything that you can imagine and continues to be felt even 40 years now after it was all said and done. The Tuskegee experiment, a total awful, terrible flop in in not even well-meaning science whatsoever and now of course your fact of the week if you are looking at a map of the world you probably are looking at a very flat map since that's kind of how it goes in this society and you might think hey the closest point to africa from our side of the world the united states in particular is Florida. Look at that thing just jutting out there, uh, you know, getting right out to the uh, the other point of Africa. That must be the closest, right? Wrong. In fact, the closest point in Florida to Africa is nearly 4,000 miles away from the closest point in Africa. North Carolina has a closer point. It's 3,600 miles away, but it's still not the closest. Cape Cod, Massachusetts is 3,300 miles away. It still is not the closest point to Africa. The closest point to Africa from the United States is a little part of Maine called Cody Head. It is 3,154 miles away from the closest point in Africa. Maine is closer to Africa than Florida. Huh. The Earth is round. And so it goes, another episode of the podcast in the books. I can't tell you how much restraint I had to use to stop and only use that small version of Toto's Africa because it's such a dope song. I always want to play it out uh, from beginning to end fully, but I probably shouldn't because, of course, that is a super copyrighted song, so I just put a little snippet in there so nobody's going to have too much of a problem with it, guys. 
Thanks for listening to the show. You can find me personally on Twitter at Kyle Steinhauser. You can find the show's Twitter at The Couch Pod. You can find me on Instagram at Kyle F. Steinhauser. The F is for fun. Uh, you can uh, find the podcast on Facebook. Search Knowledge from the Couch Podcast and join us there. Uh, you can email the show, knowledgecouch at gmail.com if you want to do that sort of stuff. And you can also find this show wherever podcasts can be found. Anywhere that podcasts are through any app that can curate podcasts, you can search for Knowledge from the Couch and you can find the show. If you already are a subscriber and listen uh, regularly to the show, thank you so much for doing so. Tell a friend about the show and have them get involved as well. It's always nice to have somebody new listening to the show. Have them check out the back catalog of the show or whatever they're interested in. Guys, the remainder of the month, we have two more weeks of June that we're going to do shows. They are both going to be about international human experimentation. These first two were from uh, the United States. The other two will be from outside the borders of this fair fair nation get ready for that stuff and until then guys live long of course and prosper Evening time.